Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, all Welcome back to the Real Life Pharmacology Podcast. I'm your host, pharmacist Eric Christensen. Thank you for being with me today. I hope you find this podcast beneficial. A uh, couple other beneficial things at reallifepharmacology.com. A brand new release of free nursing pharmacology questions. So I've got... Uh, 21 different categories from cardiovascular to central nervous system and, and all sorts of different stuff that I've put together. Uh, the other free resource is uh, Top 200 Drugs. It's a study guide. Uh, simply an email will get you access to that. Uh, the questions, the free nursing pharmacology questions are available to anyone. Please uh, share with those maybe going through uh, nursing school, taking nursing board exams. Uh, I think they're going to be a nice uh, handy resource to kind of test your skills. So uh, definitely go check out those free resources at reallifepharmacology.com. All right, let's get into the drug of the day today, and that is calcium carbonate. So this is an incredibly common supplement. I feel like 30 to 50% of uh, residents in long-term care and assisted living that I work with take this supplement. Um, it might not be that high, but um, anecdotally, you will for sure see this almost on a daily basis um, if you work with uh, older patients uh, particularly and uh, some with younger patients as well. So brand name of this, uh, you'll see multiple different brand names as it is available over the counter as a supplement. Uh, so there's uh Tums, there's Maalox, there's Caltrate, and depending upon how it's branded and, and marketed, it you know could be or purported to be used for uh, multiple different things. So uh, most often, I probably see it used as a supplement for patients at risk for osteoporosis, for example. Uh, other most common situation is antacid use. So if people have a little bit of heartburn, maybe they don't get it that often, you know, they take a Tums or a calcium carbonate to kind of help settle that stomach a little bit. So those are by far the, the two most common uses uh, that I see calcium carbonate used for. Uh, I want to stress the importance of looking at the back of the label. Uh, so many products like uh, Maalox, for example, it can have multiple things uh, within that product, and you just got to look at the back and make sure you know exactly uh, what your patients are getting, and obviously educate patients uh, about that as well uh, to look at the uh, back of the label and make sure we know what they're getting. Uh, one other use, um, it, it can be used as a phosphate binder. Not something I see very often due to elevations in, in calcium, which can be problematic. Uh, I might discuss that a little bit later on in the podcast here too. But a um, little bit of background about calcium in general. So with calcium carbonate, one gram of calcium carbonate is approximately equivalent to 
400 milligrams, or I guess that would be 0.4 grams. So essentially, calcium carbonate is 40% uh, elemental calcium. As a reminder, the kind of recommended dietary intake ranges in the in the ballpark of 1,000 milligrams to uh, 1,300 milligrams. And that kind of depends upon age, uh, risk factors, and, and other things like that. But that's kind of the usual uh, target range for most individuals. Another thing to think about is um, absorption of calcium. This is something that I have written recommendations on previously. Uh, if you give large amounts of uh, calcium at one time uh, and or if that pH of the uh, stomach intestinal area is higher, we may get less absorption of that calcium. So important uh, education point, I think, there uh, to pay attention to if we don't feel like we're getting adequate absorption of calcium or if we're trying to maximize absorption of calcium. Uh, dosage form, we've got a ton of them. Uh, tablets, suspension, uh, you know, chewable tablets, gummies, uh, all sorts of different flavored products with calcium in it. Uh, it tends to give off this uh, chalky uh, type texture and, and taste. Uh, so that's definitely uh, indicative of calcium carbonate or common with that. Uh, larger doses, I, I mentioned, um, getting into a little bit more specifics. Uh, typically, um, you know, most people are going to say, and I think most of the literature bears this out as well, you're probably only going to be able to absorb in the ballpark of 500 to 600 milligrams of elemental calcium at one time. So pay attention uh, to the dosages that were given. And that's often why you see calcium spaced out twice a day. That's why we don't just take it all at one time uh, in the day if we are supplementing for a, a patient. All right, adverse drug reactions. So really well tolerated uh, in general. Uh, so it's usually usually not an issue. You might have you know some some GI upset or something rare associated with the patient, but um, generally we use. Uh, tums to kind of settle the GI tract and settle the stomach a little bit um, with its antacid uh, type effects, at least acutely. Uh, constipation is one thing that I have seen uh, occasionally with patients, and that's probably going to increase as you increase the amount of uh, calcium carbonate supplement that you're giving, uh, possibly some bloating, things like that. Uh, this uh, theory of, of rebound acidity uh, has been been reported and seen in the literature as well, uh, where maybe patients taking it, you know, take their dose of calcium carbonate, and that tells your body, like, hey, the pH of the stomach is going up. Let's pump out some more acid. And so um, there is there is some evidence to kind of show that cycling a little bit. Um, not something I generally worry about tremendously, but if you've got a patient reporting. Uh, lots of symptoms and that they kind of keep, you know, coming back and cycling and that type of thing. Uh, be sure to ask about how much Tums they're taking or calcium carbonate they're taking. That might be uh, a contributing factor in uh, kind of those fluctuations of symptoms there. And then, of course, the 
big thing I, I think as far as monitoring and lab monitoring is, is potentially checking calcium levels. Not typically done on patients kind of on standard doses of calcium supplement, you know, five or 600 milligrams once or twice a day. Uh, you're probably not going to have to check calcium levels. Uh, the riskier situations probably as uh, renal function declines, uh, calcium may uh, cause some accumulation or may accumulate in that, that setting as well, or at least be more likely to accumulate uh, in that, that situation. And I'll talk a little bit more uh, about that, that risk in the uh, drug interactions and other drugs that might contribute to that. So one other thing electrolyte-wise, other than calcium to think about, uh, is phosphorus. So I mentioned at the start that calcium carbonate does have phosphate binding properties. We, we generally don't use it as a phosphate binder. You see uh, lots of other agents utilized for various uh, reasons, which I won't delve into that too much. Um, but just keep in mind uh, that calcium carbonate can lower phosphate levels. All right, so one other adverse effect, one other thing to pay attention to is renal stones, particularly calcium oxalate stones. So calcium can be a contributing factor to this risk. So when you've got somebody with a history of renal stones, uh, you definitely want to try to identify what the cause of those stones is, and if uh, calcium is playing a role there, or we think it is, uh, then we've got to go in and uh, assess, see how much calcium they're taking, if they're taking extra supplements, that type of thing, um, because again, you know, calcium carbonate is found in a ton of different uh, supplements, from vitamins to antacids to all sorts of different stuff like that. So, uh, pay attention to that, you know, that excessive uh, calcium intake or kind of dysregulation in, in calcium intake could potentially uh, increase that, that risk for uh, calcium oxalate type stones. And then lastly, touching on monitoring a little bit, obviously if you're using it to, to manage symptoms of heartburn, you want to look at uh, frequency of use, things like that, and, and make sure there isn't something bigger going on there if patients are using uh, a product like Tums a lot. Uh, other monitoring, so I mentioned the calcium, I mentioned the phosphorus. Uh, we're also probably going to take a peek at renal function. And if you've got a patient who's had worsening renal function over time, we may be at a little more risk of uh, having that calcium go up, particularly if we're taking a significant uh, amount of calcium carbonate. So those are the primary monitoring parameters there. All right, let's take a quick break from our sponsor and we'll wrap up with drug interactions. If you're taking a pharmacist board certification soon, definitely go check out meded101.com slash store. We've got a growing list of resources, uh, BCPS content, NAPLEX, ambulatory care, BCMTMS, geriatrics, uh, lots of test prep materials that will definitely help you uh, prepare to pass your exam. So uh, go check that out. Support the sponsor. Help keep this podcast free. Uh, if you're a nurse, uh, med student, other healthcare professionals, we've got lots of different books, uh, food drug interactions, drug interactions in primary care, uh, Meded 101 Guide to Nursing Pharmacology. So uh, go uh, check out those resources, support the sponsor, and uh, help this podcast remain free for all to benefit from. 
All right, let's wrap up with drug interactions, and there are a lot of them, so I'm going to take a little bit of time on this. Uh, you wouldn't think necessarily that maybe there's a lot with kind of an over-the-counter uh, type of product that many, many people take, uh, but there is a substantial number, and it's primarily due to binding interactions. So essentially what calcium does, or calcium carbonate does, is it binds up medications and prevents absorption. So treatment failure is going to be much more likely when we use these medications in combination. And again, I'm talking about orally specifically, and I'm also talking about administering them at or near the same time frame. So first off, with administration, um, let's talk a little bit about the time frame. So you'll get varying medications that say two hours, four hours, six hours, uh, as far as the separation goes. From my perspective, ideally, it is best to separate further. Uh, now, in many polypharmacy patients, that may be difficult to do. But the further away you can get, whether it's two hours, four hours, six hours, uh, from you know, taking calcium with another medication that interacts, the better off we're going to be. So most will say that two hours, if you take, uh, let's take bisphosphonates as our example, or levothyroxine. If you take those medications uh, two hours before calcium, you're probably going to get most of the absorption. Now, if you take it for six hours before, obviously that's going to ensure that we're probably maximizing our absorption altogether there. But generally, two hours before or four to six hours after. And again, there are exceptions absolutely uh, to, to kind of that, that guidance or that rule. And a lot of it's common sense. So for instance, levothyroxine, I mentioned that example. If we've got a TSH and we know we're within range, and the patient hasn't changed any of their medications recently, I'm probably not going to be too frazzled about it, okay? We, we've probably compensated for the interaction, encouraged the patient probably to continue taking it the way they're taking it, and thyroid function's good, patient's doing well, everything's okay there as long as we maintain consistency. So that's a really, really important thing to think about that we can monitor for some medications like levothyroxine. Now, you get some of the other ones, like antibiotics, for example. So tetracycline derivatives, uh, quinolone antibiotics, like ciprofloxacin. There, we really want to do our best uh, to try to you know, maximize that separation, if at all possible. So ciprofloxacin, let's take that example. We're giving it twice a day. Uh, we really want to kind of maximize that separation. And I've had certain instances where maybe a patient's taking... Um, you know, calcium carbonate, 500 milligrams, three times a day. Well, can we maybe just hold the dose for, you know, five to seven days while we get through this antibiotic? So there are some kind of common sense uh, things where, you know, nobody's probably going to die if they don't get their calcium uh, for a dose here and there um, versus if they don't get a dose of their ciprofloxacin or calcium binds it, we could lead to treatment failure and obviously worsening infection. So 
really have some common sense with some of these binding interactions. Think about, you know, the timing, the spacing, uh, as well as potentially holding the calcium if it's not really essential or if we don't think it's doing that much for the patient anyway. Uh, but here's kind of the list of common ones that I put together. Again, not an all-inclusive list, but uh, bisphosphonates, so your oral bisphosphonates like calendronate, uh, biloxivir antiviral medication, cefiroxime, levothyroxine, tetracycline de derivatives, doxycycline probably being the most commonly used in practice, um, iron, uh, quinolone antibiotics, I mentioned there's numerous HIV medications, so pay attention to that if you know your patient uh, has HIV. Uh, iron, some of the azole antifungals like ketoconazole, itraconazole, uh, and again, there are others that are probably less common than, than some of the ones I've listed. But again, binding interaction, it's going to reduce concentrations of all these drugs if we give them uh, too close together. One other interaction uh, I wanted to mention is increase in calcium levels. Thiazide or thiazide-like diuretics actually help maintain calcium levels in the body, or they can actually increase calcium levels in the body, which is different from like loop diuretics. So giving calcium, uh, maybe even vitamin D on top of that thiazide diuretic, I have seen situations where that, that calcium has gone a little bit higher uh, than the uh, upper normal limit there. So pay attention to that, particularly in patients that may be sensitive to uh, rises in calcium levels. Uh, and then I have been asked about calcium channel blockers. Uh, wouldn't giving calcium kind of oppose the beneficial effects of lowering blood pressure and the way the drugs work? Uh, and I would say in, in theory, yes, it can. Um, in clinical practice, it's something I have kind of tried to pay attention to. Uh, in general, um, I haven't seen it, and I, that's just anecdotally, and I think uh, the evidence is fairly weak, but there may be some evidence saying, hey, this this might impact the blood pressure lowering effect of, let's say, amlodipine a little bit. So clinically relevant, I would put a big question mark on there, but it might be something that you uh, look out for in your patients who are taking um, calcium and a calcium channel blocker. Uh, and just kind of look for that cause and effect type relationship. And if you do happen to notice something when you start calcium and they're on a calcium channel blocker, or you've got a patient not responding to a calcium channel blocker, and we're thinking we're going to drop the blood pressure, might be something to look at that maybe that uh, extra calcium is kind of blunting that effect of it a little bit. So uh, with that, I think that wraps up the podcast for today. I hope you picked up some clinical practice pearls. Uh, if you did, please leave a rating, review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Uh, support the sponsor, meded101.com slash store. Any purchases there uh, go to directly help fund the podcast and obviously uh, keep it free for all those to uh, benefit going going through med school, nursing school, pharmacy school, those that you know maybe don't have as much uh, disposable income. So uh, appreciate all the support there. If you've got any comments, suggestions, uh, mededucation101 at gmail.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn, Eric Christensen, PharmD, BCPS, BCGP. One last plug for the free nursing pharmacology questions on real-life pharmacology. Uh, that does not require an email, sign up for the mailing list, nothing. Uh, top 200 study guide. Uh, does require simply just an email. We'll get you access to that. And then we also let you know when we've got new podcast episodes and other things available. So 
With that, I'm going to sign off. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.